Steve Addison and this is the Movements Podcast. Podcast for people who want to multiply disciples and churches everywhere. Today I'm talking to Nathan Shank, a movement pioneer based in South Asia, and he's reflecting on the progress of No Place Left in USA. One of the one of the things that that we see as a real strength that's emerged over time uh, is the, uh, uh, the the diversity of fields. Let me say it that way. There, uh, you can visit uh, practitioners in San Antonio who, through the internet, are working all over the U.S. and military bases and others through Chuck Wood and, and Jim McKnight. Uh, you can visit Austin. And visit the Campbells, and and there's some overlap with uh, a couple of uh, mega churches that have been strong and sending in the past, and now also engaging fields there. You can go to to Houston and and visit, spend time with our good friend Don Waybright and and Sugar Creek there, and and Ray Vaughn and their teams. It's amazing to see what God's doing through that, and and they're also very much invested in here in South Asia as well. A lot of overlap with that team uh, over the years. South Florida, you know, that team there around Troy Cooper doing really well. And for that matter, a couple things in, in Oklahoma, Oklahoma City, David Miller, and, and around the Tulsa area, a guy named Rusty Gunn. Rusty actually led my faith, or excuse me, led my wife to faith in uh, the year 2000. Wow. Or it was uh, one of the primary witnesses in her life anyway, 99 and 2000, as uh, they were working through college together. You go to Memphis uh, and, and see, you know, Zach and Ron, who you know well, continue. And every time we drop in and out of those fields or those guys' lives, every time we overlap, they're making progress. They're moving forward, dealing with barriers and uh, um, getting to healthy church in the Memphis area within that no place left vision for those uh um, so I think it's something like 40 zip codes there in Memphis area that they're, those are our telephone codes, you know, trying to, to engage and get to generational church planning streams in 40 some different locations of Memphis. And, you know, that's not it. North Carolina is where Jeff began. There's a, a good amount of, of work happening there. I got to meet some guys from that area on this last trip as well. And, and uh, the point is uh, uh, multiple streams, you know, there's uh the eggs aren't in, in any one basket. It's amazing to see the diversity of giftings and skills, backgrounds these guys bring, but a singular vision, a singular pursuit to see churches reproduce generationally, that those churches would be healthy, they'd be able to be released, and they'd be autonomous, and ultimately uh, toward a, a saturation of those various target fields with, with the knowledge of the kingdom of God. That they'd all kind of rallied around a no-place-left vision. So... I think my first contact with those guys, Steve, would have probably been 2012. Uh, I think we overlapped in one of the first meetings there that uh, we that was hosted there in Houston. And uh, you see uh, guys like Zach Medlock there in Memphis from a very traditional church background uh, that had been involved. Uh, the, the church that he came out of originally been involved in church planning and as, as in a traditional sense, one of the most uh, successful 
church planting churches uh, there in the Midwest. They had uh, multiple starts that they actually got to release in different areas around Memphis and the suburbs as things were growing. And, and so they had a, an idea that uh, of success that was working for them, you know. And so with lessons under their belt, here comes this young upstart like Zach and, and uh, trying to challenge new, every new believer to share their faith and immediately go after their oikos. That's really where he started. Hmm. Saturation type of evangelism approach. Let's, for him, no place left, but let's, uh, let's fill up the whole area with gospel, uh, a gospel ringing event like the, the Thessalonians, you know, hmm. in chapter one. Can't blame him for that. That was the, that's the starting point. And he got going. The, the problem came up. I remember uh, visiting the church there with Zach, the church that he grew up in, and, and wrestling over the issue of whether he could baptize people. And uh, Zach did, I believe, did a good job as a young man trying to respect that, uh, that sending base and, and yet uh, compelled by the Great Commission. Worked with them to talk about what does it mean, and and yet he didn't compromise in the field. Not only is he baptizing, but but uh, a lot of his disciples baptizing others, and him not we wouldn't say releasing that authority for new believers to baptize, rather recognizing Christ's authority there in every generation of believers. Zach, not yet not his home church, but he took some criticism around the area. Uh, for for releasing that baptism, I remember same with Ron, his partner there in, in Memphis. Uh, just uh, maybe it was a year later, the, the breakthrough that that uh, as we were together, uh, uh, Steve there again in Texas, we were talking through. You might remember that Sunday afternoon session when we're just talking about identity in church and how that had something to do with our attrition rate. These guys who were seeing generations of disciples chains of disciple making going third and fourth gen and zach and ron they were in memphis they were talking about the the challenge of having to erase those chains because they would incorporate into other existing churches or uh, they would uh, and 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 in a traditional sense, that's success, you know, to be able to to grow churches and, and connect new believers to existing churches, but challenging them, what would it take for those new pockets of disciples and discipleship groups to actually begin, as they're functioning like church, take on, what would it take for them to take on the ordinances and, and more importantly, perhaps the identity of church? And actually, could we, is it possible, wrestling match, is it possible to start new churches with new believers? Hmm. And I think maybe at that time, we it, it, it required a campaign, just wrestling with these guys, constantly bringing it up and challenging them. And when we were doing that from a distance, guys like Jeff and, and Zach, and for that matter, Ron, uh, right there in their own network, constantly asking those questions in Scripture. Exactly who, exactly who were the church planners in the New Testament? What was their background? And... and uh, how would we describe their maturity? So the question, who can and who can't be church, uh, required some rethinking, you know? Required some, uh, where, where we haven't examined Scripture for the answers to those questions, sometimes uh, our assumption fills in the blank. And that's where we've got to be willing to rethink. That's where we've got to be able to examine assumptions, examine traditions in our preferences also, and ask the question, does the Scripture really demand these things? If, if they're not introduced in Scripture, if they're not expected by the Lord Jesus Christ for the church, the potential is there that they could even be a barrier at times to reproduction. 
and all sourced by our preference, you know. Reflecting at the same time some of the names you've mentioned, they've had to yeah. challenge traditions and, and paradigms. At the same time, a number of them have got strong support and strong partnerships with That's existing, true. more traditional churches. And, and you know what's interesting? Again, as we talk about them growing in vision or growing in the health of the churches they're planting, releasing, uh, what it takes to, to diagnose all those things, the other reality is their relationships with those churches have grown. As I mentioned, Zach, he's in a great place with that traditional church setting, that one where he grew up, because they've watched him. They've seen faithfulness. They've seen, at times, him defend a particular point or method from Scripture, demonstrate that, take them along and show them that in the field. And those, uh, and a lot of times, those folks who at one point were concerned or even critical of what might have been happening as they see the fruit in the field, as they re-examine Scripture as well, see a man like Zach giving his, his heart to the work and clearly gifted to do that work, they come along for the ride as well. This trip also included a significant number of, of very traditional churches and church models that are also turning the corner into a mobilized priesthood to, to see in reproduction that, that lay people taking up the mantle of, of evangelism and, for that matter, uh, the priesthood of the believer, you know, and, and going out and reproducing. So it's, it's, there's so many encouraging signs that momentum seems to be growing in uh, not just every field, but... Uh, throughout uh, a variety of partnerships, you know, uh, pioneer work along with the mobilization of uh, a very traditional church settings. What are some of the challenges you're sensing just from <clears throat> the guy, the U.S.-based guys you've been with? Um, what what were some of the challenges or the areas where they they feel like we're really stuck here? Yeah, well, we. Uh, I think that it's a ne- it's the next step in the natural progression. Uh, let me let me let me summarize and rephrase something I've already touched on. Uh, a number of those networks having to get over the hump in their thinking, and for that matter, even facing some criticism at times on uh, mobilizing new believers to share their faith. And. Uh, right on down the line, they, they've got people mobilized in from field one to field two, uh, within that four fields paradigm, those five parts. They're doing evangelism, and of course, the the transition from in most cases from evangelism into disciple making is baptism, and so they face challenges there. They they had to do some rethinking. They had to do some examination of scripture. Exactly who can and who can't. Who is seen giving baptism in the New Testament? And they overcame those barriers. And so as they're disciple making, they're asking that identity question to move from field three to field four. We're doing church function, but who can really be church? Because identity matters. And they took a step forward and and moved forward generationally. They're no longer tracking chains of disciples, but now seeing generational church planting. And you know what, Steve, was interesting when we were there this time? The fact is they still have an attrition rate. Mm -hmm. Even where identity is in place, uh, I think, again, use that example of Zach and Ron, a number of church starts in 2015, but a number, uh, a significant chunk of those also uh, an attrition rate where uh, they talked about a few uh, apartments that were foreclosed and and uh, the believers scattered a little bit. I tried to encourage them with, you know, the Holy Spirit was doing, he still is. There's uh, 
as they're sealed by the Holy Spirit, they're going to pop up in other churches or for that matter, pop up in other areas that maybe uh, you get to cell phone calls uh, a month from now, two months from now, people that that have uh, gone back to sharing their faith with new neighbors and, and call you to say, you know, uh, we won them to faith. We didn't know what to do. So we started a a new uh, church here and, and invite you to come into an area that previously perhaps you were having trouble to get in. You never know what happens when churches uh, disband, that kind of axate dispersion even, perhaps. Mm-hmm. But I, I quickly just uh, picked up, and we, I was with Steve Smith there among those guys, and, and he was discussing the value. Of course, uh, we would treat it much like a diagnostic tool, First Timothy 3 and Titus 1. And I remember the study that Steve was facilitating and included uh, the comparison of those two lists that uh, are qualifications for the elder overseer. And it just dawned on me to, to push pause for a second to ask a question across the room. About, about 40 practitioners were there, guys from all over the, the country. And to ask them, how many of you have had churches, an attrition rate last year, churches, churches that you started that disbanded? And uh, realize some of these guys are looking at 15, 20, uh, a couple brothers, a 30, 30 some church starts in the room. And so uh, it'd be natural to think that, that not all those churches are going to make it. Uh, there's no church planning effort that doesn't have an attrition rate, but about, about three quarters of them raised their hand, signifying they'd had at least one church that disbanded in the last year. And so I just asked them, okay, those of you who just raised your hand, and the churches that ceased, the churches that disbanded over the last year, how many of them had a recognized elder, overseer, pastor? Whichever term you prefer to use there, as they're interchangeable in the New Testament. And interestingly, none of them had their hand up, meaning they had an attrition rate. A number of them had seen churches end. But in the churches that ended, none of them had actually gotten to a recognized pastor. What we we were looking at, 1 Timothy 3, Titus 1, qualifications there are primarily character-oriented. There are some skill sets there, able to teach, right? Uh, able to manage their family. There's some... There's some, uh, there's some skill sets involved there that can, with some intentional discipleship and modeling, direction, empowering, you can, you can deal with those skill sets. Those are mostly character traits. Hmm. Hospitable, not a lover of money, not a drinker, you know. Husband of one wife, right? Are those, uh, the fact is, uh, is, if we just really looked at that list, there's a lot more people qualified than we might realize even in our tra- traditional church settings. But the question of desire does come. First Timothy one or three one, he who desires to be an overseer desires noble task. But my question, my challenge was, why not put those lists in front of people, mm-hmm. in front of new believers, and use them as a diagnostic? This one or two brothers, this these emerging leaders in this uh, new group of new believers. They've been, uh, every time we do a Bible study, God's showing them truth, and they're, they're leading as we do it in a participative format, and they're speaking up. They, they, it seems to be an emerging teaching gift there among them. We've pulled them aside. We've challenged them to, to even prepare ahead of time that ability to teach, and we work with them on, on developing that gifting. Hey, why don't we put those brothers in front of the group and, and just lay the list out in front of them? Let's look at their lives. You guys know them better than anyone else. 
What is their greatest strength out of this list from 1 Timothy 3? Maybe, you know, seeing that they're able to teach or that they're hospitable. They're not a lover of money. There's a lot of potential strengths there. Okay. What would you say, do they have a weakness? And you've got a diagnostic tool. To t- and for that matter, you've got the venue to, at that point, perhaps, if there are a weakness in place, to, to, to introduce Matthew 18, the matter of church discipline. Hmm. Let's... Uh, one to one, let's two to two. Let's let's develop some accountability and some action plans to not just uh, hopefully. And first of all, it would need to be a matter of conviction of the Holy Spirit that confession would begin if there's a sin issue. But let's move beyond that. Let's let's get to some accountability and some action plans to to challenge this person to develop that weakness. You know, I, I remember, and, and we've seen it often ourselves. A lot of times, those believers coming out of a, a a non-Christian worldview, or a, and maybe in the West a post-Christian worldview, perhaps, uh, maybe not have even considered that some of their activities, some of their habits, are actually sinful. Mm. So to actually to put them on the table to demonstrate Christ's expectation of leaders ups the bar in uh, in just opening their eyes to see. Oh, I I need to uh, commit to that one woman. Or I, I need to uh, put away the drink, you know, those kind of things. So it is a diagnostic tool, vision as well. And for the sake of vision right there, I just asked the brothers, are we surprised, guys? We've had some attrition across the different networks, churches that began and then ceased. Hmm. Are we su- and, and it corresponded with the, the reality that we those churches, we weren't appointing elders, we weren't appoint, appointing pastors for those churches. Uh, what happens to a flock with no shepherd? And the, the, just the, the hopefully the lights to come on to say, well, it scatters. Mm. That's how, in fact, uh, we shouldn't be surprised. Uh, but that's how the Lord designed it. The, the flock of sheep uh, would require a shepherd. Acts chapter 13 and 14 is going to be our go-to passage, the first missionary journey, to see what was Paul putting his hand to. What, were the, what are the real key core activities that, that would describe a New Testament missionary? And uh, that's where we pull the five parts, probably as clearly as anywhere in Scripture. He entered empty fields. He sowed a seed. He uh, nurtured the new growth and disciple-making, those who believe. He gathered in the new churches, and it happens that in chapter 14, he even returned to those churches, that is, Iconium, Lystra, and Pisidian Antioch, and appointed elders in all the churches. And now you think that through for a second. Because we go back to Zach's example, he... He got a little criticism and a little kickback and pushback when he challenged people to baptize new believers. Are new believers even baptizing others? Or for that matter, those new groups of believers can be church? You remember there was some pushback locally there. And and Zach having to look him in the eye and say, now, Zach, think this through. First Timothy 3, you're, if... And for that matter, Titus 1, to say to Titus, the reason I left you in Crete was to finish what you was left undone and appoint elders in all the towns. So it's a rebuke, right? Titus, hmm. you're not fulfilling what I told you to do. Zach, what would it look like? Are you ready to pull the trigger on gathering believers together and recognizing elders hmm. for those new bodies, pastors for those flocks, shepherds for those flocks? And Zach, let's just face it right now. Do you think you'll be criticized for doing that? Do you think you'll have pushback? Now, if that's the case, First Timothy 3, 
Read on down to the end of chapter three and in chapter four, command and teach these things, Timothy. Do not let anyone look down on you because you're young, but set an example for the believers. There's your context for that that verse all of us memorized in our youth, right? But Paul says, don't don't appoint a new believer as an elder. So how how does that fit with what you're saying is happening in Acts 13 and 14? That's First Timothy three passage. Don't it should not be a novice, right? Mm-hmm. And actually, later on in chapter five, I think it is First Timothy. Don't be hasty in laying on of hands. A lot of people would apply that to the recognition of local leaders. Uh, you know, uh, Steve Smith in his book and, and a number of different scenarios. I've heard him compare First Timothy three and Titus one and and examine the settings of those two uh, letters. You know that. Uh, Clearly, the, the, the fields in Ephesus where Timothy was located had were perhaps more developed, more mature. A number of years had gone by since the, uh, Priscilla and Aquila had been dropped off there and met Apollos. And the kingdom had, had the churches had been uh, established, the foundation laid. And, and now Timothy circling back and Paul writing to suggest that make sure that this happens, you know, in all the different churches. I, uh, I understand then that they would have already had elders in place. We can see that clearly in Acts chapter 20 when they gathered the elders to, at my latest to meet with Paul, you know, and how Titus may have very well been a, a written there to Crete, uh, perhaps a pioneer field with new churches, uh, new believers. And so that uh, issue of not a novice is, the, is not in the list in Titus. It's the glaring omission between 1 Timothy 3 and Titus 1. Uh, the difference in Titus that's not in First Timothy is also that that leader must be able to hold on to the, the the sound teaching, the pattern of sound teaching that was entrusted, right, and and even be able to refute false teaching at times. So it's uh, there's still an issue that uh, that looks like maturity there, at least a, an exercise skill and a grip of scripture that would enable that leader, that believer, to to be able to uh, not only uh, teach rightly but refute false teaching so we still have the issue of of is it okay to appoint novice there and for that example when we see those clear imperatives or we see that very clear instruction in the epistles we are aided to go back to paul in acts chapter 14 and you and i would know we've we've both read schnabel he circled back in acts 14 most likely within six months. And, and I think a guy like uh, John McRae would say some of those mountain passes would have closed over the winter. So perhaps his reason for circling back was that uh, the roads were closed ahead. And so he, as he circled back, most likely within six months of the start of those churches is appointing elders in those places. Uh, Steve, if, uh, if we really get into depth and wrestle with this, I've heard people suggest Paul was wrong to do that. Appointing elders within six months, if he, that's why Galatians 1 and 2, he had issue with the elders and the leaders, the shepherds, not, not defending the pure gospel, you know, because there they were uh, falling into legalism and other things. And, and I've heard people suggest that Paul was wrong to do that. Mm-hmm. Well, my goodness, I guess they'll have to take that up with Paul when they meet him in heaven. I don't know what to say. Uh, it seems to me that... Uh, there were believers, even within the first year of their faith, leading churches. What does it mean not to be a novice? Uh, it sure would be nice if Paul in 1 Timothy 3, not a novice, if he'd have just put a time limit there. Mm. Give them two years. Give them five years, you know. 
uh, before appointing them. I think that we defer to grace. My concern, Steve, in, in, in large part, we concern ourselves that, that there would be a, a shepherd who's not qualified. I would suggest to you that there's an equal and perhaps opposite danger uh, to have a flock with no shepherd is also not acceptable. Hmm. So we certainly have responsibility uh, as that church planner, that pioneer, that apostolic team, the foundation layers there in a new field. If we're laying the foundation in church planning, we have responsibility to see it through, to pull those emerging leaders aside, to, to, to make sure and invest in, in modeling those different skills that they need to develop, or examining that character, and the sooner the better, to do that corporately in, in uh, mutual accountability with the body. But ultimately, it will always be risk. Knowing the sinful nature, Romans chapter 6, 7, and 8, knowing that very intimately in my own heart, there will always be risk of failure, risk of falling. And every time that happens, we're going to be thankful for the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ to help guys like Peter stand back up. Brother Peter, when you've turned back, you'll strengthen your brothers. Hmm. I, I believe that's the next step for the work in uh, North America, that No Place Left network across uh, numerous states. I really do believe their challenge right now, grasping their own sent one calling to keep moving, lay the foundation and, and release. But if, if Paul's our example for foundation laying, he's also our example to, for circling back. If he didn't become the pastor, elder, overseer himself, circling back and recognizing that emerging leader within them. Putting that in front of the congregation, asking for group testimony, is this man qualified? and then entrusting that to the local body. I think that's what his, his primary task in both Timothy and Titus mentioned there and making sure that those happen. In which case, it's interesting, Steve, we, we might not even call them pastoral epistles anymore. We might call them Paul's letters to his apostolic band that they were to, as they weren't pastors, but they were to make sure that pastors were identified and, uh, and that local responsibility and mutual submission in the local body would be... Uh, would be what would carry them into the future, even as Timothy and Titus moved on. we got to follow through. He laid the foundation. He circled back to appoint elders. That's the next step in the U.S. Hmm. What, what else would you say that um, is important for them to give attention to right now? Oh, well, you know, the, the Spirit's in control of their timeline. The Spirit's in control of the pace there. I see these guys putting their hand to things they can... They can control like seed sowing and trusting God to do the things they can't control, like give new life and and regenerate new believers, you know, birth new churches. And so I think they're on the right course. I would suggest, and in fact, I did to a few of them while we were there. The only path to failure right now would be to quit, to give up, to let, uh, in which case, endurance uh, is their next step. Run the race, you know, finish the course, keep the faith, don't grow weary in doing good. So those brothers, if I could speak to them directly, if any of them listen to this podcast, if you're on the right track, you just keep moving, move forward. Persistence, just to stay on task, I would add to that the truth of the, uh, the, the realities of different types of soils. 
as they're sowing their seed and they're going about that controllable issue of, of sowing the seed, being disciplined to share their faith. Uh, the second soil that springs up quickly, the third but falls away, the third soil that comes up receives the you know the food that's being provided, but ultimately is choked out by thorns, thistles, the, the desire for wealth, the things of this world. Um, those issues are going to come. And one of the when I say endurance, what I also mean is avoid discouragement when second and third soil presents itself in the midst of your work. There will be some who spring up quickly, but because the the soil is shallow, they also quickly fall away. I think Jesus was saying, this, hap- this is happening in my ministry. He's telling his disciples, see, it's happening right here in the crowd on the shore. It's going to happen to you too. Don't be discouraged by that. For that matter, at times, to discern the third soil, there's, there's some who receive, receive, receive the word, even with joy. But because of thorns, distractions, the desire for things of the world, they may not bear fruit. And, and Steve, it's no uh, coincidence that but before the end of the chapter, he's crossing the lake with the few, uh, moving on with the four soil, if you will, in order to engage uh, uh, towns and villages on the other side of the lake. Mm. That's going to be, a, that's also an issue of endurance when, when we face discouragement over that attrition question, we need to remember uh, the vast majority of the people who pre- Jesus preached to didn't come along. Even those who responded positively on the first day, amazed as his teaching or willing to follow him, chase him around to the other side of the lake, even those, in some cases, he didn't entrust himself to those. And why was that? He was, he was investing in four soil people. That, so don't grow weary in doing good means don't allow discouragement to distract you, dissuade you. From even at sometimes the necessity to filter some of your time and invest in that four soil audience, and through that through them you multiply. You must have experienced those sorts of times of discouragement, Nathan, in in your work in South Asia. What what kept you going through those times? Well, my goodness, the 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 power of a prayer life. The pursuit in study provides fellowship with a guy like Paul. And for that matter, Jesus and his Galilean ministry. Now, Jesus had the obvious uh, advantage of being uh, all-powerful and all-knowing. He uh, Some aspects of that veiled, but uh, we don't have concerns about Jesus' endurance, you know. But when you read Paul, man, it looks like a struggle. Man, it, he, you know, three times... I pray the Lord would even remove this thorn in my flesh, this this angelos, you know, uh, this messenger that has come and 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 uh, the Lord telling him my strength, rather his lesson to be learned. My yeah, my strength is made perfect in your weakness, hmm. and uh, it's not just the physical side, you know. Uh, for me, Steve Angs. Anxiety, things like anxiety have always been there. Always been a, a bit of a thorn for me, and and uh, concern for all. And I would call it, try to baptize, call it concern for all the churches, and, and a desire to see them healthy and established. You know, wash clean for the sake of the the bridegroom who's coming, and 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 how discouraging it is when they seem to fall back or backslide, and and uh, or 
for that matter, are they going to make it at all? You know, there's fellowship there. There's there's Paul. The reason I sent Timothy to you was or we were concerned that somehow we'd labored in vain. But Timothy's just now come with word of your faith. Right. We've got we're going to face those same challenges. In fact, we do over and over again. I can think of, of brothers, even in some cases, who win others and start churches in, in six months, a year, even some cases, three years of ministry down the road, and we see them fall away or we see them distracted uh, by the things of the world and, and no longer bearing fruit. Those things, uh, I think that that was the Holy Spirit's purpose, and not just recording Jesus' ministry, but recording his disciples' ministry because they faced all the frailties we did. And, of course, Christ walked in our shoes as well. But you see some of the, some of the challenges Paul faced in his ministry with the Corinthians or the Galatians? And, my goodness, uh, we're not alone. Hmm. The Holy Spirit picking Paul up in those scenarios, we're comforted by his word, he's going to pick us up as well. Dust us off and help us move again, you know? You know, uh, we talk about that that, that soil that, that springs up quickly, guys who quickly, uh, with joy, receive the word, and maybe in some cases even begin to produce fruit initially. One friend of mine uh, here in uh, the country I live, his name is Milan. And uh, Milan is one of those, Steve, I knew early on, back in, as far back as I go in Asia, in 2000, we got involved with Milan and and uh, for our love for the word, we started to, to do some church planning. Uh, two of those very first churches we got to start while I was here, even as a single, uh, started through Milan. He's one of those first partners. And uh, I, I departed to get married, you know. I came, by the time I came back, Milan had five or six church starts. Uh, so he had continued to do the work. He and his wife had put, kept their hand on the plow, released, and, and, and gotten to the place of appointing some elders. But... Uh, most of that work being done just self-supported, you know. The guys uh, bivocational working, most cases farmers, and uh, it happens that in one week, a particular organization, unnamed organization, came through and and provided salaries for all five of those emerging leaders, and uh, on the condition that they break ties with Milan, you know. Mm. And he looked at that and he was discouraged. He the five guys he poured his life into and tried to push authority and recognize the Lord's hand on them, and suddenly they, they abandoned him and uh, for the sake of a salary, you know. And, and the truth is, I was discouraged, but Millen basically put down the ministry for about five years. Wow. Mm-hmm. Uh, got a job. He, he teaches uh, karate and taekwondo and different uh, martial arts and, and uh, was making a good living with that. You know, uh, back when we first met, he had a son, three years old, named Jonah. He had named first first generation in Milan's family that was born into a Christian parents, you know, Christian household. They named him Jonah. And so I knew him when he was three. By the time he was five or six, I, I as I mentioned, Milan moved on. You know what happened last week? Uh, Jonah has come to the capital city to study for college. He's now 18 years old. I, I saw Milan on the street, and there was Jonah, and I got to see look up at him. This this kid, and I knew he was three and five years old. Now he's 18, and, and he's taller than me. One of the very first things we did was go with Jonah to meet his classmates, sat down, bought them a cup of tea, 
And within about an hour, uh, through two of them and one of their sisters, three of them had accepted Jesus Christ. And two weeks ago, we started a church. Milan has moved with his son to the capital city. He and his wife, they're there with their son in college now. We started a church in their home. Uh, it's been 10 years since we've done any ministry together. And that, that time, that season of just discouragement in my life, and now full circle to see Milan reignited mm. through the sun, through the sun that was just a, an ankle biter, yeah. you know, in the, yeah. in the past ministry. But seeing that the Lord use his son reignited Milan's fire. Uh, we were, I was with him just yesterday in a church service in his home. Some new believers gathering there. So even where our soil changes over time, yeah. Our disciples may come in. They may not always be qualified or classified as fourth soil. Discouragement happens. Hmm. It happens. Uh, in the some endurance. cases, you feel like it's a it's a lost cause, and the Lord recycles the whole thing and surprises you with joy. New believers uh, in so the harvest. Endurance wins. Endurance wins, doesn't it? The only way to fail is to quit. To give up, right? Find out more about the No Place Left Network, visit noplaceleft.net. Until next time, this has been Steve Addison for the Movements Podcast.